all of a sudden you have a moment alone and it feels like the whole world collapses in on you. I felt lonely before. I've been lonely before. I've never felt that level of loneliness before. You know, it was in that moment that it all became very, a lot more real. The medical examiner had a theory about how he got those injuries because it's a mystery, right? So they have to, they have to piece together, you know, what happened to this person. And and very rarely in those cases is it black and white. The funeral home, they don't care if you don't have money. It's like, you have to use them. They are not going to give you a body any other way. They're not going to give you your loved one. It feels like they try to take advantage of people in a vulnerable state. And just do it. Don't ask. Don't be like, what do you need? I don't know what I need. We don't know what we need. I've never dealt with this before. (laughs) Hey, how's it going? Uh, You know, it's going. So day two. Day two. I don't even remember waking up that morning. Like I said, it was, um, (laughs) it's all been that whole first week up all the way up until the funeral, which was the following Saturday. That whole week and a few days was all a blur. Except there's like specific things that you remember, but it's just like, I think with all trauma, like there's, it's maybe not always in order. You remember specific things key details but it's like you have to try to figure out the timeline and put it together right i don't remember waking up that day but i do remember we had that day i think we had 60 something people come through yeah that was later in the day yeah i don't remember i don't remember anything up until people started yeah and i think people like i said people stayed the night at our house as well a few people not like a lot yeah but you know there's not a lot i remember about that second day other than we started getting a little bit of like preliminary results from the autopsy yeah so let's back it up to the autopsy so like what happens just again if nobody's experienced this (laughs) i certainly hadn't prior to that but in this situation where they're performing an autopsy um they uh they called well the uh, the medical examiner's assistant called um that later that day on Thursday after he had passed away and they go through like, so it's not like they just take the information from the scene and, you know, do their examination and then determine the cause of death. They take into context everything that is going on with that person. So they want to know, um, if there had been anything going on with his health uh, leading up to his death, if there was anything else going on um, that was abnormal, uh, you know, socially, um, you know, mental health wise, etc. Well, and when somebody dies alone, somebody that young, especially, you know, a lot of people's, I think even medical examiners kind of first inclination is to, is to rule or rule out whether or not it was like a suicide. Right. Which they didn't, they made it very clear that there wasn't anything that looked suspicious in the death, but for that, intentional, but the, or just even in general, it didn't right. look suspicious in general, but the state law requires that if they are die alone, um, and they're not at home, uh, well, even still, but it just, it, the circumstances, even though there was nothing suspicious, um, that they could see it still required a full investigation and autopsy. Um, so, which was, I mean, ultimately worked out in our favor because we wanted to know what happened too. Um, but yeah, the medical examiner assistant, you know, they go in and they want to know everything. I mean, everything about their health, their medications they were on, things that have been going on socially, mental health wise, even to the point, like, they go back all the way to when they were younger. Like, you know, did they ever have issues with different things like mental health, depression, you know, anxiety? Did they have issues with drugs when they were younger? Like, they just want to know all this detail. Well, and they, they have to, you know, and it makes sense. They have to build a picture of this person's right. life to try to piece. Because it's a mystery, right? So they mystery. have So they have to piece together you know, what happened to this person. And, and very rarely in those cases is it black and white. So it's yeah. an investigation. And, and so will, you have to get all the details possible. Yeah. And I will say that, you know, I was extremely open to everything that was going on. The stuff again, that we'll get into later that was going on with Eric up until he died. 
um, very honest, very straightforward about it, talked in detail about some of the things he was struggling with, um, all the things. And it did, in a sense, come back to bite us in the butt. Um, and it made things extremely difficult because, unfortunately, what happened was the medical examiner had a bias going into that autopsy based on the things that I had shared about Eric leading up to his death. It did color and filter his interpretation of the autopsy results. And again, being a medical professional myself, I can read the autopsy without the commentary. I can read it and look at it and know what it's saying. And let's just say that the autopsy's assumptions Ass- about him well their determination was inaccurate and the facts of the autopsy did not support it which caused a lot of problems that coming first year of things that i had to deal with because of that you don't have the ability to change an autopsy outcome so when the medical examiner rules the cause of death and the determination of the death unless it's like a criminal case There's not like you can call the medical examiner and be like, I disagree with this. This is not, I want to challenge it and have it change. So like, you know, whatever, whatever they rule, that is forever in that public record. And it goes on their death certificate. And then ultimately, you know, in this case, it ended up impacting insurance and like our ability, your ability to support us, you know, as a family, right? It caused challenge. It caused a lot of challenges and it was, it made the first year very difficult. More right. difficult than it already was. Well, and that so that second day, towards I, I don't know if it was the second day or third day, but we were. I remember you working on arranging for us to see the body, because yes. both of us, both of us knew that we couldn't just have he couldn't just disappear. Like we had plans to cremate him, but uh, just based on his own wishes and and our own kind of beliefs around that stuff, or or what we prefer, and. You know, um, and so there was no way we we're not going to see him. But but at the same time, yeah, we needed to see the body because f- for for closure's sake. I mean, he was gone. We didn't see him. neither of us seen, saw him for a few days. Yeah, and and um, he traveled, so like it was very easy to trick yourself into being like, right. oh, he's just gone for work, or right. Well, he's going like, to come back any day. You can't. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, we've been told that he died, but until i see it myself it's it's that kind of just like he just disappeared yeah you know your brain tries to come with up with every other answer except that's what happened right and so so we needed to see the body but we didn't you know the funeral home kind of was trying to pressure us into like embalming him and doing all this stuff to prepare the body and and because he was fresh out of autopsy um when we were gonna go see the body and but both of us were like we don't First of all, we don't want him embalmed because we're going to, that's a lot of extra money for us to just cremate him anyway. I didn't want him to look like he was sleeping either. Like, right. I needed to know he was gone. And again, it being in the medical profession and working on the cardiac floor, eventually in the emergency room, it like, it just we're exposed to death. It's not like it's a shocking thing in terms of. Like we knew what to expect to what we were going to see, and well, and, and you did at this point. I hadn't seen a body like true. that really, but you. I mean, we really. Um, and they, they they were heavily advising us to not see the body. No, they weren't heavily advising us not to see it. They were heavily encouraging us to have preparations done to the body. Right. They didn't. They didn't want us to see him as was post autopsy mm-hmm. because it can be traumatic to see somebody you know like after an autopsy they do the they do the y cut you know where they peel everything back and then post autopsy they stitch that back together yep. and then like he also had that gash in his head so they had to well and he they, they had to check his brain and look for bleeding yeah they and, like you know he has an incision they removed his skull you know mm-hmm. they investigated his brain um so i get it like you know again the intention is good um but both of us you know, weren't really worried about, about though, like how he looked. It was more so we needed to see him one last time. Yeah. And we needed to know that he wasn't alive. Right. Like we needed that closure. So, so post out before we were able to see the body, they had some. Like, like just back up for a second too. I want to say like, I am so appreciative because again, not like you're expecting this to happen anytime really, but like, especially at my age, 
I had no idea. Like I had never taken care of a grandparent's funeral arrangements. I had never taken care of, you know, any, I, I hadn't had anybody super close to me pass away. And so I didn't even know what to do. And so I am so appreciative of my grandma. And like I said, that, you know, my grandpa, his great grandma, grandpa died four years prior and, and my grandma had also taken care of other funeral arrangements. So thank goodness she was there because I don't know if I would even know what to do or who to call. Um, and again, your brain is just so like, it just doesn't work. (laughs) And so I'm so thankful that she was there to help kind of facilitate that stuff. And I will say that Thankfully, my husband had just gotten a bonus prior to his death because, again, when someone dies, all of that, first of all, their income disappears. Like, it's not like he's getting paid um, from his job. All of his, it's not like we could do anything with any life insurance we had anything right away because his death certificate was tied up um, because the autopsy wasn't complete. And I had just, thankfully, we had just gotten his bonus you know, a few weeks prior. So we had a little bit of money in the checking account, but like the funeral home, they don't care if you don't have money. It's like, you have to use them. They are not going to give you a body any other way. They're not going to give you your loved one any other way, except through, you know, a funeral home, a more, you know, a mortician, whatever. And Just for them to go pick him up, it was like $800. And we did the very bare minimum because, again, like I said, we were, like Isaac said, we were going to get him cremated. My dad's, um, I remember my dad's kind of philosophy around, you know, when he died. uh, He had a very, like, funny sense of humor. Well, you know, when... uh, when When you die, you know, based on kind of what we believe, your body your body's gone. Like there's no, there's no reason to, to kind of keep it, um, the way it is. <laughs> we want to let it decompose and, and go back into the earth kind of, kind of yeah. deal. And, and <laughs> I remember him saying once, like, once I'm gone, just like, you know, just toss me out, basically toss my body out. Yeah. He could care less. <laughs> Cause you know, and I kind of have the same idea about it of like when i'm gone i'm gone i don't really care what happens to my body yeah so um and which we we knew that as well but i mean like that's the thing is that um like throw me away (laughs) even doing even knowing that we're going to cremate him which is you know fairly inexpensive compared to like a full burial um there's still all the stuff they have to do in order to make that happen and everything costs money and they they're not they're not they're not shy about a how much it costs, and they don't r- really. Person, pers- yeah. Personally, I feel like the funeral home industry is a bit scummy, um, because they. I mean, obviously, they make money off of people who are in the middle of in that state of numbness and grief, where oftentimes it's really difficult to make a informed you know, clear minded decision yeah, about so these for things. Sure you and should... so they push they push um what expensive they options. And they push what they think would be right. And well and they encourage you to do things like to you know, they they try to push it as like, this is gonna help you have closure. This is gonna help you, you know, um with what's going on and like you wanna mem you wanna um uh what's the word? Uh honor the dead or whatever. And which, they, if that's what you need to do to to deal with the loss of somebody, then absolutely. Right. But that, but I remember being in that meeting, and and it felt like they were pushing expensive options onto us, in almost trying to take advantage of our state. Like, you know, you want to honor the dead, so make sure you get a good casket, and make sure you do, you know, the. Um, well, in our case, it would have been an urn, but. Well, right, but like you know, make sure you get all these extra flowers for the funeral and like all of these sorts of things um, that ultimately just make them more money Mm -hmm. and don't really, you know, that you obviously want to commemorate their life and like 
you know, have a gathering to a memorial service. You know, most people would want to have a memorial service just to have some closure and have everyone come together and that sort of thing. But the funeral home industry, in my opinion, in my experience with it, um, it feels like they try to take advantage of people in a vulnerable state. A little bit. I mean, and they're, don't get me wrong, they're very sensitive. It's not that they aren't kind or, you know, um, considerate of the situation that you're in. Um, But yeah, definitely. I mean, they're going to push what they can. And then on top of that, like there is no sensitivity to the financial state. So if you don't have money, they don't care. Like it's here, you pick what you need to do and it has to be made. The decisions have to be made very fast because you don't have a lot of time from was, when the body's released to when somebody has to pick it up. Yeah. Day, day two, day three after, after he died. And su- yeah. And suddenly we were having to make all these decisions, you know, financial decisions about what to do with the funeral and what, what to do with his body and how we wanted to. And we had already an idea. We wanted to see his body quick and then cremate him and yeah. then be, and then, you know, we didn't need a fancy urn. Yeah. You know, we didn't, we wanted it as ashes, but like, we don't, you know, we didn't really, we maybe would get an urn later or whatever. We didn't really need to spend a bunch of money through the funeral home to do but that. Even still, I mean, at minimum, it costs thousands, thousands of dollars just for the minimum to take care of his body, to see him and to cremate him. And we didn't, you know, I'm sitting here thinking from a practical side of things like, okay, and again, I worked, but it's not like I'm going to work. It's not like I'm going to work after this just happened. And I don't know. I mean, stupidly, I thought, oh, I'll only need a few weeks off, which was completely moronic because I needed <laughs> a lot more time off. Um, Especially in the field that you work in where you're having to take care of other. I mean, you were, just you were a general, nurse There's just no way. There's just no way the right. brain's going to work. I just I really feel for those who have no choice and they and, have to go back. And you were in nursing school on top of that. I was in nursing school. Thank gosh. I thank God I had the people that I did surrounding me in school because I would have not made it through. I, and to me, it was like, I didn't want to redo the last semester. Cause I was five weeks away from graduating. Right. Like it just, there's no way. And I don't know that I would have finished nursing yeah. school if I had wait, it had put it off and like tried to restart it. Cause it, it's horrible then, but it gets worse uh, before it gets better. And you know, the best thing to do is to do those things that you need to get done when you're in that state of shock. But I think the big thing that I'm trying to say is that if I can give any piece of advice to anyone, make sure you have money set aside that's easily accessible. And I'm not talking like a couple thousand dollars. I'm talking like 10,000 or more dollars because even if you have insurance in place, life insurance, accidental death insurance, whatever, if you get stuck in a position like we did where there's going to be months and months and months before an autopsy gets resolved, you don't get a death certificate and you cannot get anything without a death certificate. Um, we had a death benefit through his company and they were so amazing. They were willing to just take a legal affidavit that like I was testifying that he had died and they released that death benefit, which was not a ton, but everything helps enough to get get us through a, and a little bit um of time. but like yeah i mean it, literally nothing we you don't have access to anything without a death certificate and so yeah in the funeral home they're just like okay this is what it's gonna cost and you know it's a significant chunk of money because it's not like your bills go away either <laughs> like everybody wants to be paid and um and they're just like, and you try to explain to them, like, this is what's going on. And, you know, I am not saying I don't want to pay you, but like, can we have more time? And they're just like, well, you can have like a month to pay it off. Like, that's it. That's, yeah. that's the max. And so on top of having to make all these decisions, you're shocked. You're trying to come to terms and grips with, you know, the things that are happening in your life. And then on top of that, you have to figure out like, okay, like, how am I going to pay for all this? Because everybody, no, like, unfortunately, as much as you'd like to be nice about it, like nobody cares. Yeah. They really don't like people do, but they don't. <laughs> well, especially people who, you know, in the, are sep- like, in the industry. In yeah. this, like people who have business, like anything that has to do with your bills, like nobody cares. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's there's not a lot of empathy on that front. Mm-mm. Now, in those days following as well, you know, we had we had a lot of people come through our house that second day, and a lot of lovely people. You know, we had we like had, sixty people. Yeah, that we had people day, is... who bringing us food and making sure we were taken care of, shoveling our driveway, salting our our sidewalks because people were coming through. You know, bringing us flowers and and just being there with us. Um, yeah, a our... lot of family, a lot of people from our congregation. Um, and had we not had our congregation, I don't know what we would have done. Like, it, yeah, it would. It was such a huge support system for us. Really was, and um. Yeah, I mean, the people that were there for us through that were impressively amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, they took care of everything. It wasn't They took just... care of the funeral. They took care of us. They made sure we had food. They made sure that our house was taken care of. Yeah. People were cleaning and doing our dishes. And, like, like people really came through for us in those first few days, especially. Really, that, really that first week or two. Um, and then you also have people that kind of show up that you don't have a group, like, you're like, why, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> it's not that you don't have a great relation, but like people who are not super central to your life um, or don't, you know, like the congregation, that's one thing because those people, like, even though we're not close to every single person in the congregation, we share a faith. We share a faith. We're there on a regular basis. Like we're in a part of this group. And then there are people that kind of show up out of the woodwork where you're just like, hmm, like, <laughs> you know, but also you're in that time where you just need every bit of support that you can get that you also are so appreciative and so thankful that people are just showing up for you. Yeah. Should, so should we get into the actual um, like viewing or should we talk about kind of the preliminary results of the autopsy next? I think, well, the preliminary, we had our theories, right? So again, our, our autopsy took three and a half months to get back with the actual results, but it was like, they came back with some some physical stuff. The preliminary stuff really autopsy uh, came back like the next day um, because they completed it Friday morning, and we got his body back on Saturday to do the viewing. So by Friday afternoon, they had preliminary results. Yeah. And so some of the stuff that that came out of that was he had two or three broken ribs on the side where his I chest, believe it was three. Yeah, on the side where his chest was bruised. His left side. That gash on his, he had that gash on his head. There was no like also brain kind bleed. of on the left side. It was like here and then yeah. There was no like brain bleed or anything like that. Um, he had a seventy five percent occlusion in one of his coronary arteries. Yeah, um, but it was not the cause of his death. Yeah, and also and neither was the broken ribs right. or the little um laceration on right. his head. And we also lived in Minnesota, you know, which was um, icy in the wind. It was winter. It was still March winter time. So it was icy outside. And, and they, the medical examiner had a theory about how he got those injuries. And they said that it was somewhat with consistent with somebody slipping on the ice and maybe landing on their side or landing on the curb or maybe landing on his elbow or something to get the broken ribs. At least it was such a, it was very kind of shocking to us because he wasn't a clumsy person. He didn't get into fights. He wasn't a person that sustained injuries ever. Like, I think he broke his foot once. He like, broke his ribs once as a kid, too. Well, he fell I, off a roof. I mean, that was, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just as an adult, like, I mean, he broke his foot once um, when he was like in his early 20s. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I remember that because I remember he worked a new flyer, <laughs> or, you know, he, and uh, he, he, didn't he like take off his cast after because he had to go back to work and he didn't he just started a new job so he like yeah yeah he he was like i'm not gonna tell him i have a broken foot yeah (laughs) Uh. and so he just like toughed it out and he was in pain for weeks Weeks. and weeks and weeks Um, probably messed up his foot real bad probably um but yeah he just he wasn't a guy that like had injuries so like the injuries were very shocking to us and we were even more shocked to realize that he didn't like they had nothing to do with why he died yeah they were like you know yeah he has all this weird stuff that happened like he obviously has broken ribs Mm -hmm. and he hit his head and he's got this occlusion in his heart and he you know he had that that uh, tooth infection you know a few days days prior prior. because that was one thing that did cross our minds as again working in the medical field um there is uh incidences that happen where you have a tooth infection and it can travel down into your heart yeah. and so because of the fact that like he had been found laying on the floor and that it was like okay did he like try to get up and like collapse or have 
a heart attack or something like that. Um, well, and even with the with the occlusion in his artery, it was like maybe he had a heart attack or just had enough of of like an occlusion to to cause some damage yeah. and then he he died from that. But even they said, but they well, just that... were like, no, it yeah. had nothing to do with. And and they can tell all that stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, again, uh, you know, when we did actually get the report and were able to read through it, um, yeah, you can see all that stuff. And. So then we got some details as well about what the scene looked like, like mm-hmm. his hotel room. And they found really the only like prominent things were that he was found on the ground next to his bed. Face down. Face down. Like right next to his bed. Right. Um, and then he... He was still dressed. He was still fully dressed. He had... Um, they estimated that his time of death. So remember that night, the night before um, we found him or you know, that we found out that he was dead. Um, we, I had tried to call him between seven, seven thirty. Um, we know that he got back to his hotel room. His last swipe in was seven forty PM. And they suspected at that point he had died around 10 PM, 10 30 that night. Yeah. And, and then so, they found him in the, and then, and we found him the next day around 10, 10 30 in the morning. And so, like, we knew all that, and that he was fully clothed, that mm-hmm. he had fallen next to his bed. He had his... his or anti- that he was on the floor, anyway. He had his antidepressant uh, pill bottle next to his bed. No, it was actually not next to bed, but it was on one of the tables. Um, yeah, um, and they didn't really know how much was missing from that, so there was kind of some speculation that, like, maybe he overdosed on that. But he also had um, some bigger cans of beer, like, I think it was two... I don't know, it was like 20 the, plus ounce. Yeah, it was the bigger ones, the yeah, tall ones. And yeah. then he had um a bo- uh not 750 a 750ml s- bottle of vodka yeah. that was they said there was only like about an eighth of it left. Yeah. But mind you, he had been there for like 4 days. Right. So and Which is still a lot to drink in that amount of time. But also he he entertained clients. I mean, it, it granted, it, you know, in his room it was kind of It probably not as likely, but I mean it wasn't out of the realm of like Again, you know, sometimes you look at that and you're like, mm, I don't know. But then also, you know, he. We he, don't know the time that he, the amount of time yeah. it took him to drink that much. But, you it know, and then the, there was kind of like, well, did. did he mix his antidepressant pills with his his alcohol intake? And not like think about it. Yeah. Um, but also he had broken ribs. Like if he slipped on the ice outside, did was he... he trying to like self-medicate for the pain? Yeah. You know, we, there was all these questions we had some answers but a lot more questions right well and and we only had the physical side of the autopsy back yeah. which we were still missing the toxicology reports we didn't know what was in we his didn't bloodstream. know about his well his antidepressant levels or we didn't know if he took any other medications we don't know how, how much what his blood alcohol level his was system. we didn't know um if he had any other stuff going on right. like you know if his electrolytes were off because again if someone has a cardiac arrest sometimes it can be caused by potassium levels that are imbalanced mm-hmm. i mean there's just again it's like we had some answers but a whole lot of more questions yeah and and we didn't get the toxicology results or the the death certificate for quite a while it was three and a half months yeah, yeah um after and so and this whole time mind you everyone's wanting to know yeah what so happened what happened what was the result of the autopsy what did you hear did and you all know? we had was the facts that we knew which were you know we gave him the physical facts, but like also given the situation and the delicacy of that. And like I said before, kind of his wanting to protect him and his reputation. Cause if we didn't know his, um, we didn't know, we didn't exactly know the cause of death and we didn't want that kind speculate. of level of speculation yeah. going around all of the people that knew him. Um, and so, you know, we kind of chose to keep the, the fact that he had a bunch of alcohol, mis- like, empty bottle or a near empty bottle and and the beer in his room we kept that to ourselves for the time being because we don't want people to assume that like it had something to do it with had that. something or to that, do like, with that he took a bunch of pills or when we weren't sure yet you know um and so we only gave the results of the autopsy which were he had broken ribs and a head injury and occlusion to his heart and they still don't know exactly what happened yeah yet. and it, it it was difficult too because here we're trying to process all this and we don't so really have anyone to talk to about it because it and it wasn't anyone else's fault it was our choice in the sense that we felt that it was 
the right thing to do to keep some of that information to ourselves until we knew what was going on. But you think about that three and a half months of not being able to really fully talk about everything that we were concerned about or that we were you know playing through in our head or thinking through but it you know and then in the same breath it, it breath breath um you know everybody else was also trying to speculate and piece together in their minds what happened mm-hmm. like his parents you know i remember his grandpa having a theory that he got hit by a bus yeah you know um and that the broken ribs were what caused his death yeah. and, and we're like, obviously the medical examiner is like no but there was still like this yeah, but do they know what they're talking about? Like, right. it could have still been that. And, you know, so there were, you know, throughout family and friends and all these things, there was all this speculation. We weren't really comfortable with sharing the full details yet because we didn't. No. We didn't want to throw things out there that would potentially damage how people saw him until we knew exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, and also and, just did not, we didn't want people to be gossiping. Right. And well, and, and you know. As we've kind of alluded to, he was dealing with some stuff before he died that was very personal to our family. And we never, nobody knew. Nobody else knew about it except for us. And we. And maybe my with grandma, his, I think, might have known. Yeah. But like, it was with very it, close with his, to the best. Yeah. With his death, we were not comfortable with suddenly revealing like, oh, this was all going behind the scenes because that would have caused this big. We felt like it would have added too much to what we were already dealing with. Yeah. And we were still trying to process all that stuff. Yeah. Like, we still hadn't even fully come to terms with all the stuff that had been going and on. And we'll get fully into that mm-hmm. soon, but we're, we're still trying to, you know, we want to take this kind of step, by, take you guys through this kind of step by step, how we were dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And so we got those results, and there were still all these questions, and then we went to the viewing. And the viewing was necessary but also very traumatic for everyone yeah and i remember you you know you kind of had this philosophy of like it's not going to be a pretty viewing like no. it, it, he's not embalmed he's not prepared any no. way he's fresh out of i think autopsy. they had to do like a little bit of preparing because they tried they to, to stitch cover. him back up and... well no that's all done but they tried in the funeral home they try to uh make the autopsy parts and things like that is minute like not as obvious so they do do a little bit of preparation well they they um but i think the big thing is is that you know everyone is kind of like are you gonna do like a public like a wake or a uh, my family is a lot of we have a lot of catholic in our family and so like if anyone's familiar it's they do like a viewing it's like a wake service before the funeral and usually they're embalmed and um made up and you know they're asking like if we're gonna do that well we're we're gonna do viewing because we need to see him we need to see him um but it wasn't gonna be anything that was visually uh it was it's not gonna be like a normal way it wasn't we we prepped everybody to say it's not going to be pretty like he's not going to he's going to be fresh out of an autopsy he's going to it's going to be very morbid he's going to be modeled and, and he's and bruised and well uh, and but also it's not going to look like look he's dead. sleeping he's going <laughs> to yeah i mean he's going to look like a very dead person who's also at this point 2 days in without any embalming well, is at starting that point, to was if I decided, he would have been saturday afternoon it was, it was almost 3 days well no cuz it was longer cuz he died wednesday night technically so right. it was thursday almost... night friday night saturday night 3 days oh 3 nights yeah whatever okay. anyways 3 days in it's not pretty um and so we were prepping people, but also, it, you know, I think you and I both had the philosophy of like, it's not our job to dictate how other people need to grieve and who needs to see him and who can't see him. Because if you're, you know, other people had their own relationships with my dad and we're very close to him and, you know, friends, family, whatever. And if you, I mean, fa- and, and our thing was, if you feel like you need to, to see him mm-hmm. for your own grief process, that's fine. by all means, but yeah. just be prepared. It's going to be morbid. It's not going to look pretty. And he's not going to look like he did when he was alive. No. He's, he's, he's going to be, it's going to be kind of a horrific sight, to be honest, especially yeah. if you've never seen that sort of thing before, yep. you know? And so and I will say though, we were surprised at some of the people that did come to his viewing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
everybody's different. Everybody needs different things in those situations. Mm-hmm. But there were people there that was like, wow, I, I wouldn't have thought that you, mm-hmm. you know, needed this or wanted. And some people I think came more so to support us than to actually see his yeah, body. Maybe. Or maybe it was a little bit of morbid curios- curiosity as well. I'm not really sure. But, yeah. you know, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah. you know, it's not it's not my job to dictate that yeah. stuff. So, now talking about his body and how it looked, it was very morbid. It and was shocking, shocking, and and honestly, and really surreal. Because I just remember being like, I, "This is this real?" Like, I. Well, and honestly, as much as we both needed it, I think it was also a lot more traumatizing than you know we thought it would be. I was so numb that I the was, whole first year, so numb that even to this day, I don't necessarily consider it traumatizing i still feel very numb around it right which i feel like is a, tra- a bit of a, a traumatic Probably. response yeah no for sure where you don't actually feel yeah. what i don't feel traumatized but that doesn't necessarily mean i wasn't <laughs> yeah well and so i remember you know coming around the corner and he was kind of laid out on this table he had a blanket over him so contacts we got to see him first so like we showed up a bunch of people were with us who wanted to see him and um the funeral home obviously informed us that we would have the time to see him by ourselves first. I will say that I was hoping I, I didn't think about it at the time, but looking back, I wish they left the door open into the room. And so even though we were in there by ourselves, like the people that had come could hear to us see him, and see us. they could see us from afar and sort of hear us. And I wish we would have had a little more privacy because Again, we're trying to get answers, too, so there was a little bit of curiosity on our part. Well, initially, you know, it was, again, up to this point, it was all very surreal, and, you know, I still felt like I was numb and and kind of in a dream state, and I remember walking in, and when I finally saw the body... He's laid out on a table, he has a blanket blanket up to his chest. You know, but I had a whole nother breakdown, kind of panic attack just like what happened when I first heard that he died. And it took me, I mean, it went on for a while where I couldn't get out of that state. Yeah. And not that that's a bad thing. Like that's a very natural reaction, but you know, it was in that moment that it all became very, a lot more real as to what was happening, you know, which was part of the reason why we wanted to see the body in the first place mm-hmm. is because it still didn't feel real. And there was that little bit of closure you know, and so, but then, you know, people started to kind of trickle in and as, I, I don't know what your first reaction is. What was your first reaction to, to seeing dad? It just is a constant state of like, I just can't, I can't believe that I am dealing with this right now. I can't believe that I, like, this is my life, you know, yeah. at this moment in time. But then we we had all these questions about his death and like the autopsy and uh, all of these things. Yeah, we both of us are medical people, so there's kind of curiosity. Yeah. So it was (laughs) a bit morbidly as other people are looking at his body and kind of having their own moments and and breakdowns and and things. We were trying to kind of sneak peeks at like what was going (laughs) on with the autopsy and like you know he had he had kind of the... like we're trying to figure out where this gash is because the way they explained it is like this huge gash on his head mm-hmm. and like you know i don't know and so we're just like trying to figure out like what what well, happened like, like he, he had, didn't have we'd the... never had these injuries before so like we're just like what the heck well and he had the like the y cut and but that was covered up. up yeah but I, I still you could still see the top of it no you couldn't there was a few staples that oh, you could see. Maybe. I didn't notice that. I just remember like it being very clear <laughs> and obvious that they had uh, tacked his eyes down, which is very common if anyone follows any sort of <laughs> when he, uh, funeral home and On the left side of his head, he had that cut like all the way around. Because well, we couldn't really his, see well, the gash. T- yeah, they took his skull off, but... He yeah. had bruising, because um, he had bruising on his temple. and swollen. But I just, I don't know if you remember this, that he had, like, a chunk of eyelash missing. Oh, from, um, I don't, It would have been his left eye. I just remember looking at it being like, again, I've been married to this man for 19 years. I sleep with him almost every night. I know him inside and out. 
And he had like two or three eyelashes missing, just chunk in the middle. And I'm like, that was not there before. <laughs> also, and the worst thing that they did. Um, oh my goodness! Is, <laughs> so they they messed up his hair so bad. So <laughs> they bad. gave him like a comb over kind of like they so combed bad. his hair flat, and he just strict part down the middle and over so, to like, the side. We're crying, but we're also laughing at him because, because he would be so mortified. He, yeah, we're like if he saw how he looked right now, he would be well, so he, upset. <laughs> he had short hair. He had a beard, but he would wear his hair like messy on Spiky the top and messy and. His driver's license very clearly showed that. But I think, again, them being mindful and conscious of trying to cover up the autopsy incisions, they were like, well, it probably looks better to try to cover this up. But for us, it was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Well, and just knowing him, it's just knowing that he would, he have been would be so completely mortified. mortified. Well, he, he would have been, um, <laughs> he just, he would have not, if I could talk to him i would never let him live it down oh no his hair looked no (laughs) and we always say like if we see him again in the future which is the hope that we have that we will totally just give him crap about that like we will just (laughs) razz him until Uh, they messed up your hair man it was real bad Uh, yeah you you looked like a total dork Mm -hmm. you know on the table where you were you know you had no control over it but you looked like a dork yeah and total comb over (laughs) just and it was like a sharp very defined part and just mm. like flat <laughs> yeah and just for him personally and his personality it was so yeah contrary and his look was so contrary to how he was as a person no i just... mean it was almost unrecognizable oh, and i remember your friend you know your, your best friend um who was kind of our family she's basically an aunt to me she's family yeah, yeah. she's family and family to him as well and i remember we all mentioned it and as we were in the middle of crying and we're having our breakdowns dying we were laughing. dying laughing as well making fun of his hair because he would have found it funny too. i mean that was his sense of humor mm-hmm. he, he we all razz each other and and made fun of each other and were sarcastic with each other because mm-hmm. that's just as a family and just it's how, how we he were. was i mean that's who he was he was a a sarcastic, funny, deadpan kind of person yeah. where he would he would make jokes and then and then just wait for people's reaction. Yeah. And he was very subtle about it, but you know, he liked to make fun of people and, and but like in a lo- it was always with love. Yeah. It was never malicious. It was just it's who he was, you know. And people if they weren't paying attention, they'd catch it because it was just he just very subtle. He's very subtle about it. And so if you knew him or you were paying attention, it's just those one liners, I tell ya. But we would do you know, it, that was his sense of humor and that was imprinted on me and that was what you loved about him mm-hmm. so much. And so like you know, it was kind of that thought of oh, it would be so fun to make fun of him yeah. about this right now. <laughs> and to be honest, like, we needed that little bit of relief. Well, and humor, humor is the best medicine. It really you know? is. And and it, we see it a lot in our field of nursing as well. Is like, I think that... It's sometime, a coping mechanism. Sometimes but... people think it's really insensitive, and obviously we try to be conscious of that, but sometimes that morbid humor and that humor, <laughs> the inappropriate humor, is what gets you through these really awful things that you see on a regular basis and so kind of i think that moment was the first time i laughed up until that point (laughs) me too yeah me too and so sometimes you just need that pressure relief you know of like it's just so much and it's so heavy and so like and then you laugh and then you start to cry even more because Mm -hmm. you realize you know like all you know i would make fun of him so hard and now i can't and now he's gone yeah you know you go back and forth between that whole like you have a moment of of yeah. laughter and then you realize it almost makes you realize how much worse things are because he's not here anymore and mm-hmm. it, you know and so it was those moments were very very tough for the both of us i really mean and it, and it continued for that whole week after um where you know it was all a blur i think yeah i mean i had to go back i had to go back to school you had to you had so much stuff to sort out i couldn't miss school because i was on the verge of graduating i needed to get my ent license yeah like and i had i had test outs to make up and i was on spring break when it happened and i was able to take a few weeks off of school i obviously ended up taking more time off from work i initially told my boss like i need like a few weeks i'm gonna be leaving school for a few weeks and i'll come back and I'm sure she was just like, uh-huh. 
<laughs> but well, I, I obviously didn't go back to work for quite a while. But um, school, it was I, I did. I had to go back because, again, I was just like, I if anyone has been through nursing school, you know, nursing school is awful. It's so awful. It's terrible. And um, to have to think about, like, I might have to repeat this semester <laughs> was just not going to happen. And I did have a really amazing support system who just really picked up a slack. I had amazing instructors who, you know, were very worked accommodating. With, yeah, they worked with me to get the time off that I needed. Um, because, again, if you've been in nursing school, you know, anyone in nursing school, like, they don't make accommodations for anything. Like, you are in nursing school, you accommodate everything to be in nursing school so when I, 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 even, I was very thankful for that yeah and I was still I was still working as well mm-hmm. you know I, I had a job at a, a furniture warehouse um you know for a furniture store yeah and I don't remember when I ended up quitting but I do remember I think it was a few weeks later I don't even think I quit right away but I remember I was having such a hard time juggling school and work mm-hmm. at the same time. And I don't, you know, obviously you, you were a lot older than me, but you also had a lot more responsibility. I have no idea how you managed to do all of that. But even <laughs> Honestly, me, I don't know either. <laughs> you know, I had to focus on just graduating. And so I ended up having to quit my job pretty quickly after all that happened because it was too much on my plate. And, um, you know, it, there was, I don't it, there's so much that goes on and life goes on and you just have to, you just have to deal and keep moving and keep going one step at yeah, a time. Yeah, you don't, you don't get. There's no breaks in life. No. You know, especially with bills and work and like all that stuff. Like you don't get time to just sit with your feelings mm-hmm. most of the time. And then when you do have that time, it's, it's like you're distracted with, with life responsibilities and then all of a sudden you have a moment alone and it feels like the whole world collapses in on you because very overwhelming. because now you're alone with your thoughts mm-hmm. and you're alone with the grief and you're alone with you know all the terrible things you now have to face alone yeah um yeah it's pretty crazy and not that we were alone but but well, when you're grieving you, you are alone cuz you're not alone but you you're alone. I mean, nobody really feels exactly the way that you feel. Nobody really understands it. I and remember I remember having people, you know, like I had somebody at the funeral come up to me and I didn't really know her very well. Um, but she came up to me and she said, you know, I know exactly what you're going through. I lost my dad when I was your age. <laughs> and especially with all of the mystery behind his death and like and uh, the stuff that we were dealing with beforehand. Um, with just his mental health and, and all of the other things that we'll get into. But I just remember thinking to myself, like, how dare you say that to me? You have no idea what I'm going through. Yeah. You have no idea how I'm feeling. You have no idea what my relationship with my dad was. You have no idea. You have no clue. Mm-hmm. And for somebody to tell me, like, I understand exactly how you're feeling. Nobody could possibly understand exactly no. how I'm feeling and because this if- is a very – it's a unique situation and anytime somebody has a death like that it's impossible to fully empathize with them yeah because you this might is have something, something that I've similar learned. yeah but you'll never know exactly no because you can't live in somebody else's brain you can't live in their body you can't you, you don't know. have the exact same relationship with that person right even and if so, you're close to your dad or you're close to your parent that you lost it's a it, nobody has the exact same relationship with their parent as someone else and so, you know, in terms of a lot of people get very find it very difficult to deal with somebody when they've lost someone because there's a bit of awkwardness to it. I mean, I I have experienced that with other friends and stuff who've lost a grandparent or whatever. Um and prior to this happening, yeah, you know, now having dealt with it myself, I know what I would want to hear, and so I'm a lot better at comforting others. But for someone who's never lost someone that close to you, it's very difficult to know what to say or how to be there for someone. Um, and it gets awkward. And a lot of people either choose to say nothing because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing or they're afraid of upsetting you and reminding you of what's going on. <laughs> Which you can't get away from it. 
Like, right. there's no reminder. It's like, people are people literally, are almost afraid to bring it up because they don't want to trigger you and make you feel bad. And literally to this day, it still is in the back of my mind mm-hmm. all the time. It's mm-hmm. like it's never. You can't remind me of something because it's already always there. Well, and th- and this specific event has, you know, for me, I know for both of us, really has completely affected every single aspect of our life since it's happened. Yes. My relationships with all of my friends, the entire way I look at the world, the entire way that I deal with my emotions yeah. and how I, um, how I empathize with people and all of it is completely different because of this that's happened. Well, me. it was a life altering moment in time. Life altering. Yeah, and um, and so in terms of, you know, going back to that moment of like, what do you say to somebody who's going through this sort of thing? You don't have to say anything other than I'm here. Like, I'm here for you. If you need to talk about it, I'm, I will listen. I won't, you know, if you want me to, to you know, be comforting, I will do my best. But I think I'll, just I'm here and I'll I'm will here. Listen. I'll listen to you. If you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to. If you do, I will listen. Um, if you want a distraction, I'll be that distraction and we can go, you know. And I will say that oftentimes when you're in the middle of that and this has happened to you, for those who might want to know how do they help somebody that they care about who has lost somebody, you we don't know. We don't know what we need. We're not going to ask for help. Even if we had an idea of what we needed help with, like the effort and the mental capacity that's needed to figure out who to ask and how to coordinate that, it's just so much. You're so overwhelmed. So like the best thing that you can do for somebody in this situation is just go, what would I need in this situation? And like food's great, all that stuff, you know, Helping clean the house. All yeah, we, we had people come over and, and do help us with chores just to take the load off of yeah. our life. Yeah, I mean, you just know. think about practical things. Practical, everyday life things that people do on a daily basis. And in these moments, they can't they almost even, become impossible. They can't think about those things. It's too overwhelming. And just do it. Don't ask. Don't be like, what do you need? Because I don't. I don't know don't what know, I need. We don't know what we need. I've never dealt with this before, <laughs> you know? And 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 when you're in that situation, you're not going to ask because it's a lot of energy to try to fi- – like, you can just figure it out. And back to the whole name of our podcast here, people ask you, how's it going? But they don't really want to know. Or, you, you know – it's going. I I don't know what I, life moves on. I I'm de- I'm trying to deal with it. I don't. But I, I don't know. And, and and even like you don't even know how to verbalize it. Sometimes right. you're just like uh, it's so complicated and so overwhelming and so again life altering that you're just like I, I, it's going. I don't know. <laughs> it's things are happening, you know, and none of it's very good and none of it's very you know. It's just I'm it, hanging in there. <laughs> yeah and if that's even possible right i mean that's how you feel at the time and so and then you get the people who do want it who do want to know and and how's it going it's going no how's it really going? yeah and those are the moments that you appreciate because that's the other thing a lot of times when you're in these moments you you respond with something simple like i'm fine it's going you know things are good whatever because you don't want to burden other people with all of your issues. Yeah. And when somebody takes that extra moment to be like, no, I like, I actually want to know. Mm-hmm. I want to help you. That means so much. It does. When you're in this situation. So if you are looking to support somebody out there who's dealing with something like this, just going that extra step and taking that little bit of extra interest to, to try to be a source of comfort, be an open you know, a shoulder to cry on or an ear to listen. You don't have to say anything. That's the thing that people get hung up on is they're worried about what they should say. You don't have to say anything. Just I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'll listen to you if you want me to. I will be, I will just be in your presence. Sometimes that's the biggest thing is all you need. I just want somebody to be there with me. So because I'm not you're, alone. You're right. Because I don't even know how to explain. And I'm sure we'll talk about this more later, but like, 
especially you losing a spouse the amount of loneliness i don't even know how to explain the level of loneliness i've never felt like some i've never felt that well, losing your life, life part you've been you were together for 20 years losing your life part that was you were together longer um you had been together longer than you had been apart prior to that yeah i've been a, together longer with him than i had been alive you know like yeah than i've been in before that by myself yeah i mean and and he was he was your your life part he was the person you relied on for everything in life and he all was of a sudden he was not just my husband and the father of my child he was my best friend he was my family he was the person i created a family with we grew up together like we didn't we evolved and grew as people you know you relied on each other very deeply we were partners and everything. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just all of a sudden you wake up one day and that person's not there. I mean, the very person that I would talk to about these horrific things that are happening in my life or the things that I'm dealing with literally isn't there. You know, so like I'm trying to deal and cope with the things, the, the loss of him not being here. And the one person I want to talk to about this very traumatic, stressful time I'm going through is the person who is not here. And, um, yeah, so the level of loneliness, it's really indescribable. And I I had never felt like that. I mean, I've I've felt lonely before. I've been lonely before. I've never felt that level of loneliness before. And people will never be able to rep like they'll never be able to take away that level of loneliness. But being there and just being present and just even if it's not saying anything even just being there it does make a difference it having that energy of another body in the room who is who is who you know has your back and is just there for you well i think also just recognizing that they don't have to fix it like they can't can't. fix it yeah they can't fix it and you can be there to show your support Mm -hmm. and and just to just to show that you're not alone, mm-hmm. you know, when because I... that's the worst part is, you know, and we'll we'll get into this next, actually, um, you know, because next up came the funeral. Yeah. And that in and of itself was very difficult, but it almost gets worse after that point because because then people start going back to their own lives, which yeah. is obviously, you know, the world moves on, life moves on. But it's that moment when you're left to sit in it by yourself um, and you don't have everybody there all the time anymore. To distract you. And you're just, it's like after everyone leaves. It's like after, you know, you have a bunch of friends over and you're hanging out and like just in general and then everyone leaves and you're left in the silence. And that kind of in and of itself is a weird moment sometimes. But then having it when you're dealing with something like this, Mm -hmm. like I said, you get, you have all these distractions going on. And then the moment you're left alone with your own thoughts and your own feelings and you just have to sit in it, it it makes you want to crawl out of your skin. It makes you want to be, be completely numb. It, and, and it's – everything goes into a blur and it just feels – it's impossible to explain properly, mm-hmm. you know? It's also impossible to think – there's that such you'll a void. never that you'll ever feel differently either. yeah like it's really hard to see your way out of it it's like on some level you know it's gonna get better but it's really hard to see it's it. just it gets very dark you're you know your mm-hmm. whole outlook on things gets very dark very yeah. quickly especially yeah loss on that level and for you losing a life partner is very like i was on my way moving out um i was almost an adult and so like losing my dad even though even though it was far earlier than I ever imagined or wanted, obviously you never want to lose anybody, mm-hmm. but um, than I ever would have expected. Uh, it's still like I was on my on the verge of of. Well, you were just gaining your independence, right? Because like, you were exploring it, being independent, and not... I was I was going through the natural process of of somewhat being more distant from my parents and and going my own way. Whereas you were getting ready to be even closer to Mm -hmm. him. And, uh, and so it was very different, even though it was very difficult for me, you had a whole different perspective about all that. Yeah. But I will say, I mean, again, I think we both recognize that we were going through different things. And I think the thing that sometimes is a little bit more challenging 
for you is because you haven't been in that situation yet. Like I have had my parents, I've lost my parents in a sense. Well, and- um, so I can on some level sort of put myself in those shoes and relate a little bit again, not exactly because you can't ever exactly relate, but it's easier for me to sort of, be like I can imagine how this feels but I have not I have not found love the no. way that you and dad had it and you guys have been you guys were my example of what that should look like yeah your communication and the way that you guys loved each other and even though you know just as with any relationship you know you guys went through ups and downs but you stuck together in a way that a lot of people in the world just in general don't yeah, anything. and we liked each other. Yeah. Like very just, deep. I mean, you love each other very we, deeply. Not and even like, love, but I mean, like you can love somebody and not like them. Like we loved each other and we liked each other. And and you know, so I even now still have yet to experience that level of commitment and love. Um, and so sometimes even now it's still hard for me to imagine what yeah. it's like to lose somebody on your shoes. Yeah, um, you'll get there. But you know, on the in terms of kind of what has happened next in this timeline is the funeral. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that was, that was insane. I was again, a blur. Let's talk about it. A blur and incredible at the same time. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Hey, you know how this works. If you like this episode or just like us in general, you can find us at it's going podcast on all the things. Don't forget to check out the links in the description. And thanks for hanging out with us.